The Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who dwells on high, who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts the needy out of the ash heap, that he may seat him with princes, with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home, like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Amen. you today, the one to whom is to be given all glory and honor and worship. Lord, we gather as your people to worship you today, to lift up the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we cry out to you, our King, that you would rule and reign in our hearts today, that you would teach us in your word, that we would delight to be in your presence as your people, and that you would fill us with your spirit, that our words and our thoughts the singing from our mouths and from our hearts and our hearing of your word would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, we are desperate to be in your presence by your spirit that you would nourish our hearts. And we cry out to you now with one voice as your people praying the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying out loud, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning for our confession of faith, we'll be reciting together the Apostles' Creed. This is on page 845 in your hymnal. I'm going to begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and 
in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. This is the message which we have heard from Him and declare to you, that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all our sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 467, Wonderful Grace of Jesus.
seated. And the children can come forward for the children's sermon. Somebody say what it means to say I'm sorry. What does it mean when you do that, Abby? If you hit somebody, that's a good time to say it. Any conversation we have is about them. That's all right. Saying I'm sorry. What else does it mean? Maybe when you hit somebody, Caleb. When you say I'm sorry, it means I won't do it again. It means I won't do it again or I'll try not to do it again. I'll do my best. Thomas. Asking their forgiveness of who you're asking. Tell it to. Asking their forgiveness. That's right. So in the Bible, uh, there's a special word for saying I'm sorry. It's uh, the word repent. In the Bible, it talks about repentance before God. Uh, We certainly can say, I'm sorry for the things that we've done to other people. But ultimately, and first, in the Bible, repenting, saying I'm sorry, is something that you do to your Heavenly Father. You repent of your sins to Him. You say, I'm sorry that the things I've done, or the things that I haven't done, that I know I should. I'm sorry that I haven't lived that way, and been pleasing to you. So when you repent before God, just like you guys have said, you you say, I'm sorry for doing it. But you also say, I'm doing my best, Lord, to tell you, help me to not keep doing it. Don't let me do it again. And you're also saying, would you please forgive me? Just like Thomas said. So repentance, it might be something between you and someone else. But David said, before you and you alone have I sinned. He said that in, in the book of Psalms, chapter 51. So when you think about sins, you also should think about repenting. And before God... Doing the apology, just like you said, I'm sorry, but also saying, I'm hoping, Lord, in your grace to not continue to do the things that I know I shouldn't do. And you're asking, believing in faith, that he'll help you. Jesus loves to answer that prayer, that he would give us grace to walk in his ways. So I'm going to pray that for you right now, okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for our covenant children. And Lord, I thank you for the answers and the words on their lips and the thoughts in their hearts this morning, that they know what it means to say, I'm sorry. They know what it means to be in your presence as children who belong to you. And Lord, I pray for them as our covenant children, that you would keep them by your spirit, keep them in the ways that they should walk, that they would obey you and love you and do so because you have given great love to them through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help them to know, even from a young age, that they don't earn your love. There's nothing they could do to fall out of your love. And that you, Lord Jesus Christ, are the one who holds them and keeps them 
in your grace. Lord, I pray for them that they would be protected from the ways of the enemy and the lies that he would love to tell them about you. And Lord, I pray that you would keep them even this day in your grace. Amen. Thank you all. This morning we're going to be doing responsive reading from Psalm 48. It's on page 803 in your hymnal. Psalm 48 on page 803. I'll begin with the light portion. Uh, Please respond out loud together with the bold. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Like the utmost heights of Zephon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our God. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Walk about Zion. Go round her. Count her towers. For this God is our God forever and ever. Let's continue to worship and stand together singing hymn number 472, Come Ye Sinners Poor and Wretched.
Let us pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we come to you as people today who do carry a load of sin as we come into your presence. And Lord, we pray that by your Spirit you would help us today to hand over those sins to you as we have confessed our faith, as we have sang praises to you have heard your word of assurance that you do forgive those who confess their sins and who speak of them to you. Lord, I pray that you would give your people delight and hope in you. That as sinners, we come to you not coming to tell you things that you don't already know, but confessing to you the things that you do know. Lord, I pray that we would be quick not to hide things from you, but to come to you as our Heavenly Father who does love us as as your people. Lord, I pray that as a church we would do this to magnify the, the greatness and the glory of Jesus, not to magnify sin, but to hold up the goodness and the sacrifice and the love of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for your people today, many among us who are struggling or suffering in one way or another, whether physically or emotionally, mentally, or maybe even financially, Lord, there are many needs in our midst here. And we cry out to you, Lord, to be faithful to us, that you would provide for us, that you would be very near to us, even by your Spirit, that we would have a sense of your presence through the trials that we walk. And Lord, we cling to your promises, believing that you are faithful to them, that you are our Heavenly Father, as you taught us to pray in the disciples' prayer. And Lord, we do look to you to be faithful, and we trust that you will. Lord, we do lift up to you our missionaries who support the work and work of the church around the world. We do pray for those in the Ukraine today, Lord, who are suffering and who really do fear great bodily harm and who wonder if they will be able to sleep in their own bed tonight or not. Lord, we pray that you would preserve your people, that you would... Allow them to live in peace. And Lord, we pray that if they do have to flee, that you would give them the cover of night, that they would be able to go and be unharmed. And Lord, we pray for their faith that must be challenged day after day with threats and fear and anxieties. And we cry out to them, Lord, cry out, lifting them to you on their behalf. And we pray that you would give them great faith. Lord, we pray for those who who look to you, who sense a calling to go serve in the Ukraine and in other parts of the world that are not easy places to serve the living God. And Lord, we pray that you would give them great boldness in you. And Lord, we look to you for our faith and hope is on you alone. In your name, amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. We're going to begin reading uh, this morning in verse 9. Matthew chapter 6, the sermon is entitled, Forgive Us Our Debts. This is the Word of the Lord. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. The fifth petition in the Lord's Prayer deals with our chief spiritual need. As we looked last week at the fourth petition, at our chief physical need for bread and for food and the daily needs that we have to sustain life. Our chief spiritual need is that we would be forgiven our sins before our Heavenly Father. The word used to describe sin here in Matthew 6 verse 12 is the word debt. And we will give our attention today to this phrase, forgive us our debts. Some object to this kind of teaching. Well, if you're going to teach on sin, it's going to lead to thoughts of guilt and shame. It's oppressive and does harm to our self-image. And if you're going to try to teach those to our children, it's going to hurt their development. It could injure them and their own self-image or emotions. Yet it is our Lord Jesus who taught the seriousness of sin and the seriousness of neglecting sin. And it is a fatal error and to put aside the truth that all sin before a holy God earns judgment and punishment is a fatal error. And we cannot do that in the church of the Lord Jesus. In the Bible, there is only one response from the child of God for the presence of sin. It is repentance before God, not simply to escape the horrors of eternity in hell, which will be true and is sure. But because we have offended and been separated from a holy God who cannot even look upon sin, the Bible says, may our Lord give us courage today and grace to look at his word of truth and respond in a way that pleases him. And may you not leave here today feeling a sense or a weight of guilt that you must carry on your own. We believe by faith that the Lord Jesus, when He hung on that tree, that every sin of His people was nailed to Him on that cross. And the Bible says that He made an open show of them. So believe by faith that He did that for you. And in any sense that you feel guilt or shame in your sins, give that to Jesus along with your sin. And believe by faith that he accomplished everything that his father sent him to do. This morning as we look at this text, point number one, why does Jesus use the word debts to refer to our sins? Why did he choose to use the word debt? Our Westminster Shorter Catechism defines sin in question number 14 by saying that it is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Why does Jesus use the word debt to describe our sins? It's because the holiness of God demands perfect righteousness demonstrated in absolute, complete, resolute obedience to the law of God. 
And any disobedience to His law demands punishment and eternal separation from His presence. Adam and Eve were guilty of disobedience after the first bite of fruit. They couldn't claim to God, well, it was just one bite. You can overlook it, right? You'll understand. We were just curious. They couldn't claim it was just a little sin. It was sin. They disobeyed the law of God. This debt couldn't be repaid with money. There was no bartering with God. It's not like a bill for a meal or some repair work that you have done. It must be repaid according to the original demands of the law of God. Perfect obedience. Sinless, spotless obedience. Something broke in Adam and Eve in the garden. Something broke. They were not able to stop sinning anymore. They were captive to their fleshly nature, no longer able to escape from it. And the Bible says that this was passed on from them to their children and to every generation afterwards. This is not something that is simply an act that you do. It's something that's inside of you, the Bible says. As we think about sins, is it our actions or is it our identity? Some would say sin is just something that I do. It goes no further than the act itself. It doesn't touch me in any way. True, sins are actions. We said in the confession that it's a transgression of the law of God or any want of conformity unto His perfect will. So you can say, I sinned. I did something that was wrong. But it's a deeper problem. You and I, since Adam and Eve in the garden, are captive to our sin. It's an inherited nature that we received from our parents. So it is right to say we are sinners. It is our identity. It is who we are. It's not just a bad habit that you can lay down. You and I are corrupted in all of our ways, thoughts, motivations, and actions. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says that we were by nature, before Christ, before faith in Him, we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. Psalm 51 verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now some have said that this means that the act of conception is what is sinful. And that's what David is confessing. And that's absolutely not true. What he is saying is that when I came into the world, for all of the joy and delight and wonder that it is to see a life come into the world, you must know down deep in your heart that that little baby is a sinner. That's what David means when he confesses that. In Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 19, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned, by one man's obedience, many were made sinners. Who is this talking about? This is talking about Adam's sin our representative head in the garden, and that when he sinned, we all participated in it. This is the doctrine of original sin. We believe that each of us is guilty of this, along with the actual transgressions and sins that we commit. This is part of who we are. This is why Jesus used this word. You and I are in a debt to the living God, the holy, righteous God, who sits on the throne We have a debt because we violated His law. And it's not something that you can just simply repay by living good or trying harder or doing better. 
You're not able to. You don't have enough years. Even if you lived as long as Methuselah, you could never pay God back for this debt. It is endless. You cannot do it on your own. The seriousness of this is seen in Jesus' words in Luke chapter 13. Point number two. As we think about what we're praying when we say, forgive us our debts, it's important that we heed Jesus' warning about the seriousness of sin. You don't have to turn there, but I want to tell you briefly about Luke 13 verses 1 through 5 to illustrate the seriousness of sin. There were two tragedies that took place. And some people came and spoke to Jesus. It says in verse 1 that some who were there with Him came and told Him about it. There was a tragedy of some Galileans who Pilate went and killed and mingled their blood with a sacrifice's blood. And another tragedy of a tower in Siloam near Jerusalem where a disastrous calamity took place. The tower fell over and 18 people died. And this is what the people were talking about. And as they went and spoke with Jesus, and Jesus heard about it, He turns and asks them a question. He asks them a serious question. He doesn't respond to it. He asks them, you think, you work this out in your mind, in verse 3 and verse 5 of Luke chapter 13. He says, I tell you, it was not that these people sinned worse than others. Or that they were worse sinners than anyone else in the world. But unless you repent, you who are here talking to me today, you will all likewise perish. Jesus didn't talk politics or run down Pilate. He didn't dive into the logistics of the matter and talk about engineering or building codes or designs or get one of the disciples to run and find the builders and interview them. You constructed a terrible tower and that's why it fell. Or these people who were worshiping God and Pilate sent people in to kill them and mingled their blood with the sacrifices. They must not have been worshiping God in a holy way. Or maybe one of them was a sinner and was trying to hide it. No. Jesus says they weren't worse sinners. But he looks them directly in the face and said, Both times, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And I wonder if they were thinking, this is how the justice of God works. And Jesus, in responding, are you hoping that I would ease your conscience by you telling me about this? That I would come to you and say, maybe like the town gossip that's going around, that God must have known something sinister was going on, and so He judged all those people in such a harsh and public way? And don't we think that way, people of God, sometimes when we see bad things happening in other people's lives? Boy, somebody in that house must be sinning. Are we kidding ourselves when we think that? God knows everything that happens. In your home and in mine, nothing is hidden from His sight. He knows you better than you know yourself. He understands you to your deepest thoughts, to the secret things that you would only whisper to yourself in an empty room, the things that you would never dare breathe to anyone else. He knows them. The things you've done when nobody else is watching, He sees them. Is He a vindictive God that way? Yes, He certainly could cast judgment in a moment. And we would all be deserving of it in a moment. But the Bible says that we should regard the patience of the Lord. Patience with us, His people, as salvation. And if He is patient with you, He is 
offering you the opportunity to repent of your sins. Jesus is saying here in Luke chapter 13 that repentance is urgent. He gives an answer to his own question. He asks twice, do you suppose these sinners were worse than everyone else? He says no. He says no to his own question. They were not worse offenders. He says that the death that is awaiting everyone on the earth and those who don't repent will be final, eternal, and without relief. That's what Jesus says about repentance. No one is guaranteed time to prepare for death. If you knew it was coming, you would prepare differently, right? If you knew it was today, if today you would breathe your last, you would live differently. Jesus is saying, you're not promised that convenience. You don't know. No one knows. Don't presume upon God's patience. I'll be serious about dealing with sin tomorrow. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. You've heard me read it before. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. And if you are hearing the Word of God today, you are hearing His voice. These are His words, not mine. Today, if you hear His voice, repent before a holy God. You see the urgency, the same kind of thought from the disciples in the book of Acts. They believed that Jesus was coming soon. And so Peter says in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, when he was preaching at Solomon's portico, repent therefore and turn back, turn away from your sin and turn to the living God, that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So first, why did Jesus talk about our sins and, as debts? And what did He have to say about the seriousness of sin in Luke chapter 13? Lastly, what do you do with your sin? What do you do with it, people of God? Do you hold on to it? Do you mull it over in your mind? Do you carry it around with you as a weight on your back like Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress? Do you batter your family with it? Do you pour it out on other people? I want to say there's one response in the Bible. Run to your heavenly Father for mercy. Run to the feet of Jesus. Honestly confess your sins to Him, even if it's the same ones as yesterday. Do you believe that, dear people of God? That Jesus wants to hear you pray and to confess your sins. Earlier Christians called this having short accounts with God. We specify whatever debts we have. We no longer foolishly try to hide them from Him. Just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And we all have our own ways of hiding. Don't we? When we go to God in prayer, rather than sometimes confessing the sins that are weighing on our hearts, we pray for other people. Our mind wanders. We go other places. But we have sinned to confess before a holy God. It's why Jesus ordered this prayer the way that He did. It is your and my chief spiritual need that we would be forgiven our sins and be found, as Paul says, hidden in Christ. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 15, paragraph 5 says that men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance. But it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins. Particularly. We should be going to God in prayer. Specifically naming the debts that we have in His presence. You are a holy God. And here they are. 
I lay them before you. I don't try to explain them away. I don't try to cover them up. I don't try to blame anybody else. I lay them at your feet, Lord Jesus. That you would bear them on the cross and that I would walk away from them with you. Leaving them there. Run to your heavenly Father for mercy, honestly confessing your sins. And grieving over the depth of sin in your heart and deal ruthlessly with it. James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 say, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. The Savior meant for you never to carry sins with you. Because He gave His last drop of blood that they would be paid for on the cross. He does not mean for you to keep them with you, dear child of God. Have you ever had to weed a garden or clear a fence line? See some heads nodding. Then you know that it's difficult, tedious work, and it requires constant attention. It is relentless. Every time I do, I'm reminded of how invasive sin is in my own heart. How it's like briars with thorns. And you know sin seeks self-preservation. And there are lies from the enemy that we believe. Little lies, they might seem. But they are powerful to us. The pain of dealing with this sin will be too much. And he knows, they'll just give up. They might be passionate about it one day, or maybe God convicted them in a certain way, but I'll just plant this little seed of doubt that they could really have victory over whatever it is in your life, or that there really could be separation from this in their heart. I'll have them believe that it's not possible, and they'll give up. It's no different than what Eve and the serpent talked about, as we discussed last week. In one conversation with the serpent, Eve was willing to believe that there was wisdom to be had on a tree. And she sinned before the living God. I have been surprised, though, as I work on cleaning a fence line or weeding in a garden, that some of those plants come up by their roots pretty easily if you put your back and your shoulder into it. And I'm not trying to say that giving up sin is easy. But what things in your life are you clinging to in fear? But how much joy and relief would you find in Christ if you trusted God to prune it away from your heart once and for all? And I'm not saying that confessing sins is simply for you to feel better. It's not. Confessing sin is the only duty we have before our holy and righteous Heavenly Father. But there is peace that He gives His people. As we walk in His ways. And it is our desire as God's people to be pleasing to Him. And to delight to walk in His ways. And to be in His presence without fear. You and I should be clinging to the cross of Jesus and His righteousness alone. Jesus came to suffer humiliation and death. And to have all of the wrath of God poured out on Him on behalf of His people. In Matthew 1 verse 21 Joseph was told, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save you from them. 
He didn't come so you could carry him around like a badge of honor. This is what I struggle with. He came that he would take them from you and deliver you from them. John chapter 3 verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. All kinds of people, all kinds of sins. There's nothing that is too weighty to lay on the shoulders of your Savior. And there's nothing that he doesn't want to hear you confess. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the whole world. What He's saying there is that Jesus came as the propitiation for your sins and for mine. He went and suffered on our behalf. And He made an exchange with our Heavenly Father and said, put all of their sin on Me and all of the guilt that they should feel. Put that weight on Me. That's why He cried out in the garden the way that He did. And He also said in that exchange, put My righteousness which I have before you, put it on them. He's the propitiation for your sins and for mine. And God, our Heavenly Father, the Holy Righteous Judge of all the earth, was pleased with it. And He did it. And that's why we celebrate at the Lord's table that it was God's will to crush His Son on your behalf and mine. So as we come to the Lord Jesus, as we come to our Heavenly Father praying, forgive us our debts. Do so by faith. You don't come needing to write a check. You come because it's already been written. And you can rest in it. Do not leave today feeling guilty. Leave today knowing that you have given everything over to Him in prayer. Let us pray. Lord, I pray for everyone in my hearing in this room that as they heard the Word of God today, if there are those who do not know You by faith, Lord, that they would cry out to You today to be known by You and to know You. That through the power of the Gospel and Your Holy Spirit applying it to their hearts that they would believe by faith. Lord, I pray for Your people here today, those who do know You by faith. Lord, if they are walking with a weight of sin on their shoulders and on their heart, if they are anxious, if they are struggling, Lord, that You would be very near to them and meet their need. Lord, may they cling to the cross of Jesus, be seeking to be hidden in Christ, and believing by faith that one day You will raise them up to be given a glorious resurrected body and to be in Your presence forever. Lord, I pray that You would give us what Peter spoke in Acts as we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that You would give us times of refreshing by Your Spirit. But Lord, may we come to You confessing our sins, not lightly laying them aside as though they are no big deal. And Lord, may we look to You in faith and love and hope. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship now, singing hymn number 457, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
seated as we take an offering to the glory of God. for your amazing grace that you have poured out on us as your people. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to give of our tithes and our offerings, that you would preach the gospel to our souls, that there is nothing in this world that will satisfy our hearts apart from your grace. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that and to believe it and to know it.
And as we give, Lord, help us to do so cheerfully, believing that you will provide for all our needs. And I do pray, Lord, for those in our midst who are suffering or struggling financially, that you would be the God of all supply to them and that they would have a sense of your provision in their lives. Lord, I do pray that all that we have done today would be for your glory and for the glory of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. the benediction of our Lord. Now may the God who never abandons you and never lets go of you go before you in your darkness, stand beside you in your fears, and make you faithful in your temptations until Jesus comes. Amen.